Hello, everyone, and welcome to And There You Go, a podcast about life. Whether you're hanging from a cliff by one hand or laughing your ass off, we'll cover it all. And now your co-hosts, Addie and Chad. Well, hello. Hello. I hope you're doing well today. I am. Good. So in previous episodes, we've talked about different forms of trauma and abuse and various topics around that. And so today we're going to really explore what uh, domestic abuse is all about and look at some of the facets of domestic abuse. And uh, you've got a tool that you've had exposure to and that you've studied, you've researched, and you're going to share that with us. So I'll just turn it over to you and you can just take the reins on this. Okay. Well, domestic violence is disturbingly common. One in four women experiences domestic violence in their lifetime, one in nine men. And every time I read that, I think, but those are statistics just from what's reported. Right. I was going to say, and those those seem really low Yeah. based on my own personal experiences. Because many people never report domestic abuse. Yeah. And I just think it's much more prevalent than those statistics show. Mm-hmm. There are different types of domestic abuse. You can experience more than one of those. Uh, there's physical abuse, emotional abuse, financial abuse, isolation, stalking, and sexual abuse. And, of course, if you've been listening to the podcasts, you know that I have been in several different abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the abuse was somewhat different. And so I remained confused to some degree. Although they, I knew that they were mean, they were cruel, but it took me years to understand the depths of it mm-hmm. and, and the depths of what I had experienced. And so it was confusing. I don't think that I wanted to believe that it was happening to me. And I had a few very kind, good friends who listened and supported me. And for that, I was really lucky. Uh, and I didn't share much to anyone but enough that I learned who not to talk to. Mm. Yeah. People don't mean to, but sometimes they minimize what I said was happening to me. Yes. Or they would say, well, what did you do to make him mad? Or maybe if you just had done this, he would not have gotten mad. They made it about me instead of about what was happening to me. And why do you think that is? Why do, why do people not trust what they're being told by an individual about the abuse that's happening to them? I think society in general has been trained in a lot of ways to minimize those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then as somebody with poor self-esteem like me, that would be easy to manipulate. Um, they just wanted the the problem to go away or mean to not talk about it and so I learned quickly not to talk about it with those people well I'd even have some say well he never did that to me or I've never seen him do that to you okay so I I can think of um, a situation that I've been made aware of in the past where um, somebody who I deem is very credible uh, was a victim of of abuse and this person went to an authoritative figure who also happened to know the abuser. Mm-hmm. The perception that this authoritative figure had of the abuser was up on a pedestal. And so when this other person came and 
discussed the abuse at the hands of that person, it was summarily dismissed and they were chastised. Mm-hmm. That's because not the abuser, uncommon. Yeah, because <laughs> the abuser had already established themselves as an upstanding citizen who could do no wrong, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and that's really unfortunate, but I have to believe that that's a part of the makeup of the abuser. Oh, they're very charismatic, and they're often leaders in the community. And, well, this, this wasn't yeah. a leader in the community, but somebody who, who was able to manipulate sure. perceptions very well. Mm-hmm. And when they'd say, well, he never did that to me, or I've, I've never seen him do that to you, well, of course you haven't. They're covert. Perception right. is everything to them. Right. They're not going to just outright abuse you um, in front of someone. So I questioned myself for years and put up with unthinkable things because of it. I thought that maybe I must deserve it. It started to make me feel damaged and unworthy and that I should just feel lucky to have someone. I feel like I became a verbal, emotional, and sometimes physical punching bag. And that doesn't do anything for your self-esteem or self-worth. No, it really doesn't, especially if it's invalidated by those others around you that you look to for support. Mm -hmm. And if if they can't provide that, it's like, yeah, that'll do a number on you. Well, and the abuser wears you down Mm -hmm. so that you've lost that self-esteem enough that you're too afraid to get help. And then especially when you're hearing, well, I've never seen him do it or things like that or... If you had just done this, I'm sure it would have been fine. He wouldn't have been upset, that kind of thing. You know, that phrase, too afraid to get help, is Mm -hmm. bothersome to me. It puts you in a state of hopelessness. Yes, very good word. Boy, that's just really troubling to me. I Just uh, just an observation about how I reacted to that when you said that. Mm -hmm. Well, you're afraid to get help for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. It's going to make you look bad. It will make the abuser look bad, and you've been trained to make them look really good. And then when you're questioned so often, you feel like no one's going to believe me. Right. But I finally took a chance because there was nothing left to lose. And I went to an abuse crisis center. They let me in, and, you know, they it's always locked. Doors are locked. I, I think that even the windows are gunproof or bulletproof. Bulletproof, yeah. And I was shaking so uncontrollably that I had to sit down as I was terrified. And I sat there and and cried and begged them to hide me because someone that knew the person that was abusing me worked there. And I didn't want that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I didn't want her to know I was there. I was so afraid that she'd tell him. Now, I understand that they're not supposed to divulge anything like that, but you, people are human, and you don't know what they're going to do. Right. They held me up to walk to a private office and told me later that this person that worked there who knew me saw my car. And it was even though I, I thought I had parked far enough away because I'd taken a lot of precautions, but she directly came out and said, is, is she here? And, well, they they couldn't lie, but apparently they had a sit-down with her and said, he might seem like the greatest person ever, but she's here for a reason, and so this needs to stay within these walls. I bet that didn't help your anxiety level while you were there. No, not when I was there. 
Um, it's important to say I had already been abused a number of times before, as I had mentioned, by other people. And I'd never gone for help like this, not to a crisis center. So that makes me think that I was not confused as to what was happening to me, at least not anymore. And I was desperate because this man was capable of anything. Um, each of the abusers were capable of awful things, but I'd, I think I'd tapped out from the last one. It had just left me completely raw. There was, there was just nothing left. Mm -hmm. I think it was from the enduring, the abuse for all those years that I had just tapped out. And I talked about that um, as far as the body keeping score right. and how it had affected me physically, all of the emotional and, and verbal kinds of things. So the counselor that I had was so compassionate. And I just, I got in her office and I just started talking. It just all came pouring out. And she just sat there and she let me do it. Didn't ask a single question, just let me just pour it out honor and then she pulled out what's called the power and control wheel and said I usually start with this but you covered it all and yes you are being severely abused you're in a lot of danger and let me show you this power and control wheel and the power and control wheel was developed by the domestic abuse intervention project in Duluth Minnesota okay there are highly regarded and well-known for all sorts of literature in regards to abuse. And so that actually helped me to see for sure that I was being abused, just taking a look at it. And there are eight separate sections. There's coercion and threats, intimidation, emotional abuse, isolation, minimizing, denying, and blaming, using children, economic abuse, and male privilege. I want to read what's at the top of the power and control wheel because it explains it. Okay. Um, and, and I think it's important. Uh, physical and sexual assaults or threats to commit them are the most apparent forms of domestic violence and are usually the actions that allow others to become aware of the problem. However, Regular use of other abusive behaviors by the batterer, when reinforced by one or more acts of physical violence, make up a larger system of abuse. Although physical assaults may occur only once or occasionally, they instill threat of future violent attacks and allow the abuser to take control of the woman's life and circumstances. The power and control diagram is a particularly helpful tool in understanding the overall pattern of abuse and violent behaviors, which are used by a batterer to establish and maintain control over his partner. Very often, one or more violent incidents are accompanied by an array of other types of abuse. They are less easily identified, yet firmly established a pattern of intimidation and control in the relationship. And I'd have to say that in my experience, the physical abuse was much less than the emotional or verbal abuse. Right. But there was physical abuse, including some strangulation. And then 
it would get peppered with other kinds, just exactly what they're saying right here. You know, it's kind of like Putin out there right now holding over the Ukraine people, the Ukrainian people, mm-hmm. the threat of the nuclear option, where he's, he's pummeling them left and right and saying, yeah, but if you don't succumb to this, I'm going to get out the big guns. Mm-hmm. And that's the physical violence in all of this. Right. And so there's a lot of other tools in the toolkit. And the sad part that I see with those other tools, really, is that those are tools that aren't readily visible to other people. Mm-hmm. So the first one is coercion and threats. Making and or carrying out threats to do something to hurt her or him. Threatening to leave her, commit suicide, or report her to welfare. Making her drop charges. Making her do illegal things. Uh, one of them did talk about attempting suicide a number of times. I've heard that from other people too. Mm-hmm. And... I actually experienced that myself one time. Uh, I don't know that I would call it an abusive relationship, maybe, but I'm I'm not 100% certain. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I explore and unpack my own experiences, I'm finding out more and more about what I actually experienced and how to put labels on it. Yeah. But there was a threat of suicide to get me to back off on a request that I had for this person to do the work that was involved with therapy. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, it set me back. It was odd. I mean, it was anyway. It just kind of struck me right now as you said that. Well, it's manipulation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And then there's intimidation, making her afraid by using looks, actions, and gestures, smashing things, destroying her property, abusing pets displaying weapons. I had a lot of that kind of thing happen to me with the number of different people. The hollow stare that abusers have is so scary. And they, they'll often do it for extended periods of time and not really acknowledge you, but just stare intently at you with hollow eyes and make you feel like you're walking on eggshells because you do not know what's going to happen next. Right. Um, I've been intimidated with weapons. One of them decided that he was going to pull apart his gun in the bedroom, and I was watching TV there sitting in bed, and he was going to clean it. And he knew I hated guns, but he did it anyway. Even when I said, you know, Really, there's somewhere better to do that than right here on the floor while I'm watching this in the bedroom. And so when he got the gun put back together, he pointed it at me and pretended to pull the trigger a number of different times. And he laughed because he thought it was funny. Oh, my heavens. Um, That just turned my stomach. Yeah. Turns mine, too. It did then, but... You feel helpless. I can't make him be nice. And I don't know who will believe me. Right. Um, I had another experience where ammunition was put right by my car, right where I would get into the driver's seat. And it was left open in an open box of ammunition. And I ended up calling the sheriff about it. And they took it very seriously. I know that a lot of people have 
poor experiences with with police officers when it comes to domestic violence. Mm -hmm. And I, I know it's rampant, but I have to say that my experiences have been pretty positive that way. They took a full hour, took pictures, wrote notes. Uh, they called him and made him come and pick the ammunition up. At so their, it, it uh, felt like it was you being used to make a point. Oh, absolutely. And I know this for a fact because I have a brother who is trained in these kinds of things. And I called him when it happened and he said, you need to get off the phone right now. He is threatening your life. You need to call the sheriff. I didn't want to believe that's what was happening, but I knew it was. I, I guess I also had an experience with intimidation, and I think it was emotional abuse as well. But I had been with him with a couple friends, and I had a glass of red wine, and it made me feel sick, and so I wanted to leave, and it was Halloween. And so we got into the car, and he started driving erratically. And I said, oh, man, my stomach is really sick. Could you maybe slow down just a little bit, take corners? Just, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to throw up. And that set him off into an absolute tirade. And the whole way home, he was driving erratically and very fast and making turns so that I was moving back and forth in the car. trying He was trying to make me sick, I think. And he said, I am so put out. I am so put out that you would have the audacity to tell me how to drive. Don't you ever do that again. And he ranted the whole way home, pulled the car into the garage. I got out and ran because I was scared and went into the bathroom and started to throw up and I had locked the door and he was banging on the door screaming at me I'm so put out don't you dare do that again and he was trying to get in and I just sat there on the bathroom floor and cried and shook those are some examples I have millions of examples I guess I could think of but those are some examples of intimidation and weaponry and things like that. I'm I'm just kind of speechless right now at, at some of this. This is uh, the just the thorough disregard for another human being's well being. Just yeah. just absolute no regard. There wow. is emotional abuse, putting her down, making her feel bad about herself, calling her names, making her think she's crazy playing mind games, humiliating her, or making her feel guilty. I was gaslighted. There were mind games constantly yeah. in each relationship. It was really hard to take. Um, there's isolation, controlling what she does, who she sees and talks to, what she reads and where she goes, limiting her outside involvement, using jealousy to justify actions. I guess I saw fewer and fewer people, for sure, because of the isolation that was attempted. And I remember one time in particular that this man wanted me to be on the phone at all times. He wanted control of when I was on the phone. He liked to be on the phone constantly. 
and I told him. You mean like you talking to him? Yeah. So and, he could, and then he, I had to be available to him. Okay. He okay. even attempted, as I was teaching, to make phone calls to me and could not understand why I couldn't take phone calls in the middle of teaching a class. He just needed that kind of control. Wow. Uh, I told him at one point that the kids and I were going to be watching a movie at this particular time. It was going to be two hours. I was not answering my phone. The kids and I sit down. I turn on the movie, and he calls at the exact time that I said that we would start that movie. Why doesn't that surprise me? Uh, I was just floored. I didn't know what to do because he would make me feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. There's minimizing, denying, and blaming, making light of the abuse and not taking her concerns about it seriously, saying the abuse didn't really happen, uh, shifting responsibility for abusive behavior, saying she caused it. Of course, I was always the cause of the abuse and his behavior. And then at some point, they'll usually say that you're the abuser because they'll get you to that point emotionally where you're raising your voice and you're trying to justify things Mm -hmm. that you shouldn't even have to. And you're getting upset. And so I caused it. I caused it because I'm upset because... He is minimizing or denying or blaming, uh, using children, making her feel guilty about the children, using the children to relay messages, using visitation to harass her, threatening to take the children away. Oh, my goodness. I know of a situation where this applies. It's, it's not a, go ahead. It's not a, uh, like a spouse to spouse. This is a parent to child mm-hmm. where... Wow. Okay. I I don't know that it's my story to tell, so I'm I'm going to back off of that. Okay. But I that just really hit home with something that I've uh experienced, been made made aware of. Right. Yeah. Well, the man that was so obsessed over phones was guilting me that night then because I did answer and I said, "You knew this was not a good time." And then he went into, you know, you need to answer your phone when somebody is calling you. What if this would have been one of your children and you didn't call and something bad had happened? Shame on you. Shame on you for not wanting to answer your phone. You are not being responsible if that kind of thing. Obviously, with another, there was harassment as far as visitation went and blaming when he needed to be responsible for his relationship with his children. It wasn't all my responsibility. So there were some threats to take the children away, but he never could have, I don't believe, nor would he ever have, because he didn't want that responsibility. Um, I'm trying to think here. Yeah, I think. We'll just move on to economic abuse because I have a few things I could say about that. Uh, Preventing her from getting or keeping a job, making her ask for money, giving her an allowance, taking her money, not letting her know about or have access to family income. That happened to me in a number of instances. The last one was the worst. He systematically and very quickly took away all of my access 
to bank accounts, retirement accounts, anything to do with money. I had no access. Everything was online, and he held the passwords to everything. And there was no access to even more than that. And I kept asking, and he would get so angry and so abusive about it. And then after about a year, he brought in papers with, with the passwords and threw them at me, but they were all wrong. And then at a certain point, he took out an account of his own without me knowing and was dropping his paychecks into his account, but mine were being dropped into a joint account. And I realized it because I'd finally gained some access. And so I immediately got my own account and was dropping my paychecks into that. When he realized what I had done, he was furious. How dare I have a bank account of my own? How dare I put my paycheck into Mm -hmm. my own account? Which is exactly what he was doing himself. Yeah. But... How I've seen I? I've seen relationships where the husband is made to be accountable for every single penny that he's spent, Ugh. where the purse strings are that tight, and all of the financials are managed by the wife. Mm-hmm. And it's not just women who are abused. No, no, exactly. <laughs> and and in this case, if the husband wanted to go out and make a purchase, he'd have to ask for the credit card or a check from the wife, and then bring a receipt back as verification and account for every little penny, and then give the card back if he took a credit card. Oh, dear Lord. I know. So I've seen that too. Mm-hmm. Just in a completely different sort of way. Yep. Uh, then there's male privilege. Treating her like a servant, making all the big decisions, acting like the master of the castle, being the one to define men's and women's roles. And most certainly, I had that happen in every one of those instances. Male privilege was a big thing. One of the things that I think about is um, this one was with his father and had been, we'd been redoing the house and The father said, this is such a big house, and look at these bathrooms. They're going to be hard to clean. And my partner said, well, that's for women to do. Uh, I don't mean to laugh at that. I'm just laughing at the insanity of that statement. He he and his dad laughed, like, yeah, that's for the women to do, that kind of thing. I don't care for that. There was a holiday that we were having people over. And, of course, abusers generally ruin every possible holiday they can for the person they're abusing. And and I was cooking and cleaning and getting ready for company and everything, and I asked him to vacuum, I don't know, a 9 by 10 foot rug or something like that that was at the front door. And he lost it. Went ballistic. Huh? He went completely ballistic. I pay to have people clean or you clean. I don't vacuum. And then that exploded into all sorts of things. And I was an absolute wreck by the time family started coming. Oh. And, and I, I would look at him with great caution. People noticed it. And they told me later 
but they could tell that I was terrified of him. So anyway, this power and control wheel really helped me to gain confidence as to, yes, I was abused. I have been abused. So can I ask a question about the diagram here? Mm-hmm. So it's in the form of a circle. Yeah. And uh, it's like a pizza or, you know, a wagon wheel with spokes. The outer ring is labeled with violence, and then there's physical and sexual. So I assume that means physical and sexual violence. That is a ring around all of these things that you just discussed. Mm-hmm. So the way that I'm reading this is that physical and sexual violence uh, might be the the prominent things or the things that are the most visible, but all of these other things are those quieter things that, you know, when you read that first part of this, mm-hmm. that those are the things that uh, the tools that they use that aren't as visible, are, are a little bit more subversive, you know, and, and then the big looming threats are always the physical and the, the sexual mm-hmm. violence. Okay, okay, so I'm understanding this then. Thank you. Yes, I'd say that, uh, you know, for me, there was less of the physical, that they used that to scare me enough so that they could verbally and emotionally abuse me. Well, I'll tell you what, if I was an abuser, I'd want to do the things that left as little evidence as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the problem with emotional and verbal abuse is that you can't prove it. No, no, you simply can't. It's like there's this dichotomy between uh, physical health and mental health. And there was a, a lot of legislative action a while back to bring those two into parity when it came to healthcare coverage. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, why the stigma of mental health? Because you can't see it's broken. Whereas you have a broken arm or you get somebody gets a black eye, you can see that. There's obvious evidence. There isn't the evidence behind this other stuff, mm-hmm. which is really, really sad. And I want to point out as well that they've discovered that if choking and strangulation starts, you are going to be dead if you don't leave. Now, leaving is the most dangerous thing that you can do when you're being domestically abused. But if strangulation starts, if you don't leave, you will die. And why is that? Because I think that the abuser gets to that point where that's a way to shut you up. Because they can make you pass out, and it's very scary when that happens. Um, What was your question again? Well, why why does that happen? Why does that become such a prominent concern? That seems to be the driving factor as to when they're ready to kill you. So that's that becomes kind of like almost the ultimate threat. Yes. You don't you don't fall in line here. I will kill you. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and that, and that makes perfect sense. It's sick, but it makes perfect sense the way that you're describing it. Yeah, and, and it is so dangerous because they'll play with it, and they'll do it just enough to scare you, and then they'll do it just enough so you pass out, and it keeps getting a little bit more and a little bit more until they could choke you to death. Yeah. I've... I've done lots of research for many years Mm -hmm. when it comes to this. And I found some text written by a gal named Elizabeth 
Plumtree. I believe that's how you pronounce that. She's a freelance health writer, and this was all fact-checked by experts on how to identify an abuse victim. And I'm just going to read it in part. Uh, Domestic abuse wears many faces, some apparent, while others are less obvious. Some of the signs that you or a loved one may be in an abusive relationship include obvious or hidden cuts and bruises. And I did have some of those Mm -hmm. uh, bruises. And I did have a doctor um, call me out. Um, behaving apprehensively. So, so the doc, uh, excuse me for interrupting, but so the doctor called you out. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? At that point, I had split. I wasn't living with him. Okay. And the doctor said something along the lines of, things look better for you. Are you okay? Because the last few times you've been in here, I've seen unusual bruising. Are you out of that situation? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm out of the situation. I'm scared. I believe that I will have to go into hiding. But you're right. I, I was abused. That's why the bruises were there. Yeah. So I know that when I've gone into various types of healthcare appointments, I get asked the question, do you feel safe at home? Mm-hmm. Which I think is great. Now, hopefully people have the courage to say, no, I don't, if they aren't feeling safe. But that's a very safe place to be able to say that. Yeah, I've been in that situation as well and actually wrote on the paper, I don't know if I'm safe. I don't believe I'm safe. Did anything come of that? Just some questions. Not a lot. They gave me some information Okay. as far as what is abuse. What do you do? How can you find the strength to leave? Just things like that. Okay, okay. Uh, but they have to be really careful because often it's the abuser who's taking you home from whatever, yeah, whatever right. thing that was happening at a, at a doctor's office or in the hospital. But yes, obvious or hidden cuts and bruises, behaving apprehensively in the presence of a partner. And that was noted... Well, many times by people. Yeah, I was going to say, you've mentioned that you've experienced that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Routinely making excuses for a partner's behavior in public or towards loved ones, having limited control over finances, meeting fewer times with family members and loved ones, living in constant fear of saying the wrong thing, of contradicting a partner, or of refusing sex. Um, An abusive partner is controlling, whether it is through finances, gatekeeping, who their partner can or cannot see, making frequent, sometimes unannounced calls or visits to a partner's place of work to keep tabs. An abuser may also force their partner to participate in unwanted sexual acts. Um, And how to get help, because attempting to escape an abusive relationship is so frightening and it should not be faced alone. You, if at all possible, you need people there who are supporting you. So map out a plan. And I've talked about this before. This plan will, will list out things that you need to escape. You take important papers. You take toiletries, some clothes, uh, 
specific things, put them in a suitcase, give it to a friend mm-hmm. that you trust. Sort so of a go bag, if a, you will. A to go, yeah. yeah. To get out of Dodge. <laughs> Believe it or not, I actually had one of those myself when I was contemplating extricating myself from my marriage. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yep. I had uh I had a bag. I wasn't sleeping in the, the main bedroom, I was sleeping in a separate bedroom and I kept a bag there just in case. Now, you know, not necessarily because of abuse, but if it, it just got too bad that I didn't want to be there anymore. And it es- or if it escalated. If it escalated and uh, I was ready to go. Had my passport and all you know, all my, my documents and, mm-hmm. and everything that I needed ready to go. Tax documents. Yep. Health documents, just anything. Get your hands on them and get them in a suitcase so that nothing can be done. Yep. Retain evidence of the abuse. Now, I did journaling. Take pictures of the bruises and the cuts. That's something I didn't do. Uh, Wish I had. Threatening text messages, you know, take pictures of those and emails or other signs that show abuse by a partner should be kept safe and hidden when planning your escape. Uh, contact local help centers, discreetly reach out to local centers that protect victims of domestic abuse for assistance with your plan to leave because they will help you to know step-by-step what to do. And often those centers have hidden homes for victims of abuse to live in. Oh, interesting. I suppose, you know, I guess I never really thought about that, but uh, that's, that's good. I went to meetings in one of those homes and I had to sign papers that I would never disclose the location. Um, I didn't end up living in a home like that, but I went there uh, for trauma support, things like that. Looking back on all of your experiences, in hindsight, was there a time when maybe you should have gone to a home like that? Absolutely. Yes. Wow. In more than one of those relationships, I should have. And then that's got to be really, really difficult to think about doing that. I mean, you know, you think about this whole notion of why do people, why do women stay with abusive men and vice versa? And to to make that big of a step, you really need to have, I think, the support structure like you're talking about mm-hmm. to help support and guide you. And uh, boy, I, I just can't imagine being in that position. Well, and I want to thank my friends who were there for me and my family that was there for me Mm -hmm. during these times. And I think that the ones that were supportive of me were were shocked at the stories that I started to tell them. Oh, I'm sure they were, yeah. Uh, Call a helpline. The domestic violence helpline can provide anonymous help to victims of domestic abuse. And, of course, I've talked about that, hiding with my dog in a closet and calling the Abuse Resource Center because I was so afraid. I didn't dare have my children be home alone with one of them in particular, and he questioned me. Why is your daughter never here except when you're here? Why is she never home other than when you're here? And I thought, holy cow, you just said a mouthful way more than what you even think you said. Mm -hmm. Because I had set it up so that my daughter was very aware of things and that she should never be home unless I was home. Don't ever be alone with him. 
Boy, you know, it's really sad that you have to give that message to a child. It is. Wow. Now, she was a teenager at the time, but still a child. Oh, yeah, that age doesn't matter. I mean... And I didn't know how else to protect her at that point, except to say, don't ever be home without me, because I didn't know how to extricate myself. And she eventually moved, and I had to do that covertly. I would secretly go and get things out of her bedroom that she would want, and it was gradual so that he wouldn't notice and I, I don't think that she really understood exactly what that meant for me that, that she left. I was, I was so relieved that that's what was going to happen because she was an adult at a certain point and, and could. But in order to reduce the amount of, I don't know, what would you call it? The risk of something the, the, happening. Right. I had to slowly get boxes of things and move them out and kept her bed there. And then it was around Easter that this happened. And I had to have family over for Easter, including his parents, and wait until all that was done to tell him that she had moved out. And he was furious. Why, I don't really get except that he wanted control of everybody. Yeah. That I was going to ask, was there any retribution towards you? Oh, yeah. After that. Yeah. yeah. Lots of retribution, lots of verbal and emotional battery, but I want my kids safe. Yeah, without question. Uh, I want to tell our audience that if you are a victim of domestic violence, contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It is 1-800-799-7233. And they'll give you confidential assistance with trained advocates to help you. And in cases of immediate danger, call 911. Domestic violence can have such devastating effects on the physical and psychological well-being of the victim. And Leaving is the most dangerous, like I've said, so get the help you need and have the plan. And you're worth it. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be healthy. You deserve to laugh and smile again and not walk on eggshells. You deserve to be with people who hold your mind, body, and spirit in high regard. And I have a quote to end this. Before... You do. I have a question, if you'd be willing to entertain it. Certainly. How can people around, and I'll use the word victim, the person that's being abused, how can they help if they suspect or they see? um, Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, think about your own situation. If somebody came up to you and said, hey, you know, is, is everything okay? I mean, you might have one response. But is there another way that they can approach it I, I don't know. I'm just asking the question. I'm thinking, you know, if, if more people out there can be aware of this and if they suspect it's happening to a friend or a loved one, how can they help proactively rather than reactively? Ooh. That after that, something that's happened. Good question. I like that proactive 
versus reactive because the reactive that I got was, well, if you would have just said blah or, you you know, that kind of Well, thing. and that represents a, a, a severe lack of understanding of, of what the situation was. But let's say there's somebody that has an understanding of domestic violence and abuse mm-hmm. and they see something that is probably a warning sign. Any number of those that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, there are different ways to offer support, uh, like setting up a safe time and place to discuss the circumstances. I mean, make it feel safe. Make sure that they understand that anything that that they are telling you it will remain only with them unless otherwise told. Help them make an escape plan. My friends did that when they helped me with my suitcase and took it to their homes to so that I'd have what I need if I had to leave quickly. Share your local domestic violence and abuse centers with the victim. They might not know. They might not know who to call. If you think they're in dire danger, you might need to get some emergency services to their rescue in some way or another. I mean, Uh, it could be literally a matter of life and death. Life or death. It generally is a matter of life and death. So my quote is, and I told that little girl inside to come out and live with me again. I was ready to look after her better than I could have ever done before. And it's unknown who said that, but I chose myself. And so the game changed, and for the first time in my life, I see my worth. And I will not let anyone take that from me again. And there you go.